Tonight, a major update on the murder of Vanessa Guillen, the army soldier whose death inspired thousands to share their own stories of sexual violence in the military. We revisit the case, the documentary telling Guillen's story, and the fight to transform our armed forces as Metrofocus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Philomen M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold. Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin, the JPB Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. Just a few months ago, we brought you the powerful story of Vanessa Guillen, the U.S. Army soldier murdered after reporting the sexual harassment she endured at Fort Hood in Texas. Her death inspired countless others to share their own stories of sexual violence and push for change in the military. Prosecutors say Guillen's killer took his own life before he could be brought to justice. Only one person, the killer's girlfriend, Cecily Aguilar, was charged with a crime in this case. She admitted to helping dispose of Guillen's body and recently pled guilty to four counts, including accessory to murder after the fact. She now faces up to 30 years in prison. And while this is a victory for Vanessa's family, the problem of sexual harassment and assault, as well as retaliation for those reporting these crimes, remains a major problem and issue in our armed forces. The documentary, hashtag I'm Vanessa Guillen, examines these issues and is streaming on Univision.com. Here's a quick look, followed by my interview with the film's director and one of the veterans featured in the film. A very concerning call came in. It was a very nervous voice. She just said that something had happened and no one was believing her. She did not know what else to do. And she was contemplating hurting herself. She was in survivor mode. I didn't like being touched. I didn't know how to interact with my mother. I didn't know how to sleep. I didn't know how to feel safe. I didn't know how to anything. A part of me died. Who I used to be died because somebody decided to do this to me and nobody wanted to listen. I reported it and I fought. And I've gone through the trauma and through the retaliation that I faced. And now you have a missing soldier that was sexually harassed. And I wrote my story, put my picture beside Vanessa's because I was Vanessa. I am Vanessa. I am Vanessa Guillen. It's a hashtag going viral on social media, highlighting stories of sexual assault and harassment within the military. At Fort Hood, another soldier gone missing. They created an environment that contributed to sexual assault, sexual harassment, and even murder. The environment at Fort Hood was permissive. We're working on being more transparent. We're just like any organization, and we're, we're all about making ourselves better. Because the message and culture in the military has been clear. Shut up, suck it up, and don't rock the boat. 
In the civilian world, prosecutors make the decision to prosecute, and the military non-lawyer commanders make that decision. 99% of sex offenders in the military will never be held accountable. After 246 years, it's time for Congress to give the men and women serving our nation a justice system worthy of their sacrifices. You members of Congress, you need to pass this legislation. really feel like we're on the verge of success. We are going to reform this system and that we're going to get to a better place. The women veterans that you encounter have the ability to adapt and overcome because that's what we've been taught. But here's the thing, you've created a woman who is unstoppable. And joining me now to discuss this powerful new documentary is the film's director and producer, Andrea Petinho Contreras. Andrea, thank you for joining us. And I'd also like to introduce Karina Lopez. Now, Karina is a veteran and survivor of sexual assault, and her story is also featured in the documentary. Karina is also the creator of the viral hashtag, I am Vanessa Guillen which inspired the film's title. Ladies, welcome to MetroFocus. Thank you, Jenna, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Now, I wanna start uh, by asking Andrea you the question that I ask all directors, and that was what specifically motivated you to create this documentary? What was, you felt the narrative that was not already out there? So during 2020, our team at Univision had been covering um, the disappearance and murder of Vanessa Guillen, who went missing um, at the Fort Hood base in April of 2020, and later her body was found. Um, during that reporting, the, you know, the following months, we um, heard from a couple of cases, Karina included, she reached out to us, um, telling us her story, and at that point, uh, in the fall of 2020, we, we heard from her and um, in December of 2020, I decided to fly down to, to meet her. Um, and once we met, um, I knew right away that we, you know, there was a really important story to be told. Um, I was very struck by Karina's, and I, I tell her this all the time, by her incredible um, ability to articulate her feelings and um, really explain to me what that was through and kind of very complex, you know, it's a, it's a very tragic situation, but it also has really, um, really deep and uh, grave consequences for mental health, you know, and, and Karina, the way she articulated that to me really, really struck me and, and stayed with me. So I came back from that trip and I knew that there was a really important story to tell, not, not just about sexual violence um, and lack of accountability, but the huge mental health impact that lack of justice really, really has on, on survivors. So um, that's, you know, that's why um, I really wanted to tell this story. Um, I really wanted to uh, kind of front and center the stories of survivors. Karina's is kind of the main narrative, but there are other survivors that also come into the film and also tell the story of the legislative changes that took place last year because of Vanessa's case, mm -hmm. a lot of changes, um, you know, and in part of because of Karina's hashtag, so many people came forward many changes actually took place last year right and and there's still needs there, there's so much more to do but some things happened that were pretty unprecedented last year so yeah 
Sabrina, I want to bring you in and just uh, get your take on what was it about Vanessa's story that resonated so deeply with your own experience and made it clear to you that no, now is the time to speak up. I think when I originally heard about her case, all I had known was that she was missing and the days had kept going where you would see her face and you wouldn't, there wasn't really an explanation as to why she was missing. Um, when I actually looked up the story, so many things just didn't make sense. And I was like, there has to be more coverage on this. You know, someone just is missing and there's, there's not, um, a couple days into it. I realized that I didn't look at the Spanish section of the news and maybe I'll find something there. And that's when I, when I heard her mom say that she was sexually harassed and now she's missing and she wants answers. And to me, it felt like, you know, a ton of bricks just fell on top of me because this wasn't being said in, you know, the English media. And it just made me so angry. I remember just so many emotions and I started, you know, looking at um, everybody. I, I started trying to get in touch with, you know, the right people that could listen and could understand that this, you know, what happened to her was not an individual thing. It happens all of the time. And, you know, more specifically my case and how I had just left and I was forced out of my career because I was speaking up on this and it had gone so bad and, and chaotic that, you know, um, Congress had to get involved in my case. So it was one of those things that, you know, I was angry. I was sending, you know, the family, you know, I was um, more specifically the sisters, um, you know, my story. And it just, you know, wasn't reaching them, which I understand, you know, why there was probably so many messages coming in there inboxes and to them. And, you know, I, I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna put it on Facebook and I'm going to come forward and, um, and see what happens when it's out there, you know, because this isn't, you know, many people don't understand, especially civilians don't understand why you can't come forward. And you think that when something traumatic happens like that, that you you're safe, if you go to the right people. However, that's really not the case. You can have all the right people and those right people, those doors are shut on them to protect you. And the retaliation that comes is, is, is horrifying. So you might as well just stay quiet and, and just endure everything in silence. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a very scary thing to go through. And I think people needed to understand that and see that, um, more specifically through my story, because I came forward and mm -hmm. I have moments where should I have come forward or would, you know, maybe I would still have my career if I didn't. And I would just get, you know, mental health services and, you know, behind the scenes behind, you know, behind everyone's back and just took care of it that way. Um, you know, who knows? Well, Andrea, I want to go back to you because we did show, of course, a clip from the film and uh, we always definitely want people to watch the full documentary, but can you tell us, just fill in for people who might not be aware of uh, Vanessa's story, who was she and what do we now know happened to her? Yeah, so Vanessa was a, a Latina soldier. She was stationed at Fort Hood in Texas. 
Um, she started and she was very excited to join the military. Her family says she was just very proud to serve. Um, her family is an immigrant family. They're Mexicans um, of Mexi Mexican descent. Um, and I think Karina saw this as an opportunity to serve her, you know, um, her country and was just very proud. Um, at some point, Vanessa came home and her mom noticed that she was a little off. She wasn't sleeping. She just seemed really off to her. And when she asked her what was happening, Vanessa wouldn't tell her. Eventually, she um, told her that she was being um, sexually harassed by a sergeant, but she didn't want to report it because she was afraid of re retaliation. Um, you know, fast forward a few months um, and uh, Vanessa goes missing in April of 2020. Um, initially, the you know, the family knew right away that there was something wrong with that because they were a very, they're a very tight knit family. Um, and not hearing from Vanessa was just really off to them. They they went to the vase. They were not getting a lot of answers. They were, you know, kind of kept, they, they you know, pushed away in, in some ways. Um, but they were very, very um, persistent. They were just, you know, demanding answers. Um, and eventually um, her body was found. Um, and we know that she was uh, murdered by someone in her unit. Um, we know that he wasn't the person that was harassing her necessarily, but there's still a lot of answers that need to be, um, you know, to be cleared out. Um, and the family is still waiting for a lot of answers. Um, and throughout that search, um, you know, with with Karina's hashtag, uh, when Vanessa was still missing, so many people, thousands of people came forward with their own stories of, of harassment as well. So now, Karina, I want to go back and just uh, get you to explain a little bit for so many of us who are civilians. Uh, what is that military culture like that uh, incur pushes, maybe coerces, maybe even demands that women who are serving remain quiet on an issue like this? That that's that's uh, the question that I get from a lot of people. Um, and I think, um, I don't think that there's a really good answer to it. I think, you know, for example, before I joined, my family sat down with me and talked to me about what it's like to be a woman and work in a male-filled industry. And then me as a minority, as a woman going into this, especially being 19 years old, because I was 19 at the time. Mm -hmm. And they went through, you know, different things that could be issues. Um, you know, they told me that I was very naive. I was very young. And, you know, they wanted to make sure that I was set up for success with knowing things like this. I remember my family showed me the Lavina Johnson case. And I remember thinking, you know, okay, they're, they're still fighting for this. But that was the only case that I remember. So I was like, okay, the, the statistics of that happening to me were, you know, pretty low. Her family's still fighting for answers. They're going to get those answers. You know, I, I was very, I was very uh, naive, very, um, I had a lot of trust in the system. I was like, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go serve my country. I'm super excited about it. There's going to be a lot of opportunities. I'm nervous. And, uh, you know, I remember being in, in basic, going through AIT, going through the military process. And I remember just how many female NCOs had, you know, pulled me aside and 
you know, gave me advice or told me to stay away from a specific person or, you know, just something that kind of they were doing the best that they could to give me advice. But, you know, to a 19 year old, a 20 year old, you're just like, that's so weird that that person had to come and tell me and give me that advice in the first place. Um, I remember having this, um, this really, you know, like being sexually harassed in one specific incident in Korea. And I, I didn't know what to do. I felt like I was, I was, you know, like suffocating and I was blocked into the, into a kitchen. And I remember going to an NCO, a female NCO, and I told her how I felt because I didn't understand what I was feeling. And she told me, you know, she gave me advice and she was like, you know, you, she, she was backing me up the, the, the full time and told me how to handle situations like that. And she made me confront him and tell him, you know, that was unacceptable and just stand up for myself. So when this happened on Fort Hood, and I thought that I could do exactly that, that I was shown how to do it and that I would get help in my situation. And I was instead redirected and guided to not get that help and instead to just stay quiet about that because the base didn't, the, the unit didn't need eyes on or extra attention on the unit. Um, I, I kind of felt ashamed. I, I felt like I couldn't stand up for myself. And I had always been, you know, that 19 year old that was like, if this ever happens, I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to fight back. You know, like um, no one's going to be able to do that to me and me stay quiet. And it kind of, you know, started that inner war with myself um, where I didn't, I failed myself because here I was, you know, letting them win and intimidate me and keep me silent. And I felt unsafe. And then on top of that, I didn't even know how to, you know, my family members were the ones who told me all of this. So then I felt completely shattered because that 19 year old girl who was telling them I will stand up and fight for myself and, and, you know, I'll do what's right. And, um, and, you know, they'll have to help me now it's the opposite. So when something happens like that, you know, you get, it's a subject that's extremely heavy. So mm-hmm. even if you do go to the right people, they don't know really how to approach the situation. Um, and then on top of that, if you go to the wrong people, the wrong people just don't want you to acknowledge it at all. You know, it's, it's your fault and that's it. And even when I started receiving like mental health services and stuff like that, I had even been told that it was my fault, you know? So, I, you know, you start really battling yourself. And I think ultimately that's how they kind of win because they target, they make you question yourself. You're not questioning them. If you're questioning them you're like, no, I know what happened to me and that's wrong. But then once you hear it enough and you're in that fragile state of maybe this wasn't, you know, maybe this wasn't their fault. Maybe this was my fault. What did I do wrong? Did I, you know, you start kind of retracking and, and, and going through the, the process of, okay, mm-hmm. it here, but what did I do that led me to be put into the situation? And, well, it's uh, sounding a little bit like, uh, um, perhaps issues of hierarchy and chain of command are also coming into play with you as a 19 year old recruit. Uh, for the um, non-serving civilian audience, just very quickly, uh, can you just let everybody know, just so they fully understand, what exactly is an NCO? An NCO is basically the 
they're known as the backbone of the army or the military in general. Um, they have served for some time. They've gone through the basic leadership schools and they have that rank. So they're the ones that are put in, in charge of the lower enlisted um, soldiers. So, so basically they are a form of leadership. They are someone you report to. And okay. And does that stand for something? Just, I just want to make sure that people are like, oh, that's what NCO is. Yes. Non-commissioned officer. Okay. And then my second question also is, I mean, cause you do keep going back to your age. And I think one thing that everyone can relate to is what it's like being a 19 year old and thinking that you understand, but not fully understanding the world that you're stepping into. How long after you got to Fort Hood, did your assault happen? And I know that you sort of touched on it, but as much as you can share, can you share with us what happened? Yes. So I joined when I was 19, just to clarify. Um, and I had seen, you know, just the, the f- sexual harassment from 19, 20, you know, those ages. Um, when I went to Fort Hood, I was 21 already. And mm-hmm. I had arrived late late July. So I went through the process of, um, they call it, it's basically for civilian terms, like onboarding. When you first get there, they have to in-process you, you know? And um, I remember sending my mom a text message, right? That first day. And I remember telling her I felt like a piece of meat. I I remember texting her and telling her I was crying because she was like, maybe you're going to love it. And I was like, I didn't want to go to Texas, but you know, whatever. I'm so far away from home. I wanted to go to Fort Bragg and be closer to my family after being overseas for a year and away from them. And I'm, I'm young. I want to be close to, you know, my, my family. Um, And so, you know, that first day was very frustrating for me. And I felt like every time I asked a question, they were setting me up for failure they thought it was really funny that I was asking these questions so I wouldn't break any rules, but then they would give me the complete opposite answer. And so it was just like you were backed against the wall and I didn't know who to believe or didn't. Um, and uh, that was extremely frustrating. On top of that, it was like uh, the the comments and things like that, that they would make. So that was before I even got to my unit. I, I was um, sexually assaulted in September. So I had been there technically a one full month and a couple weeks. Um, but also with that too, you know, um, one thing I always tell people is you, we grow up with our parents telling us, don't talk to strangers, don't get in the car with strangers. But if you think about it in the military, you, you do what you're told. So there were a lot of times that I were, I was in the car with a stranger because I, you know, somebody who was supposed to pick me up, didn't show up. So they sent someone else. So technically I'm getting in this car on a base that I have no idea where anything is or who anyone is. And they're driving me and they're, you know, and, and it's like, Oh, I never met this person in my life. So it kind of goes into that, that kind of situation where it's like, we're told our whole entire lives not to get into cars with strangers and things like that. But then that's what we do in the military and being that young and still, you know, doing what you're told, you think that what you're being told is law and you have to do it. So there's a lot of intimidation that comes in to when you're telling, you know, younger soldiers, hey, you have to do this or you have to be here. And in a lot of cases and a lot of stories that, you know, especially from the survivors that came forward with the hashtag, they'll tell you 
I was doing what they told me to do because I thought that's what was expected from me. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into being young. And I have had, um, you know, I have had um, survivors tell me that, you know, they were 25, 26 even. And still is that it's just when you're, when you come into the military, everything is completely brand new because it's not the civilian world. So, so it is about age, but it also is about that intimidation factor where you have somebody superior to you telling you or giving you an order that if you don't listen to that order, you can get in trouble. And it's also a matter of, okay, well, I don't want to make this person upset because this person legit, you know, holds all of the power for my career, my career progression, and my reputation as well. Because if I don't do this, then that person is going to go and tell everyone that I'm a bad soldier and I don't listen and I'm disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And in my case, you see that where it's like every time I would come, all of a sudden something would come over my head and say, oh, you want to go to IG? Well, here's here's this. We're going to say that you did this. And it's like, wait a minute, what do you, what, why are you bringing this up at this exact moment when I'm trying to get help? And then it just kind of quietly silences you again. And you just keep going on with your life and unable to look at yourself in the mirror and realize like, you know, you're just, you're just stuck. Well, Andrea, I want to bring you back in. We only have about a minute left, but you did mention at the beginning of our conversation about some of the legislative changes that were beginning to take place. Can you just let us know what is potentially uh, on the table to happen to address some of these issues? Yeah, the biggest change that happened last year. So one of the main issues in the military, kind of going back to Karina's story, is that basically the military... um, um, you know, like checks them, themselves, right? Like you have uh, the per- your case, if your case is in the chain of command, is your commander who decides whether a case of assault or harassment um, is prosecuted, right? So they have a lot of power. These are commanders that are for the most part not lawyers. So it's a very, um, it's not a very unbiased process. So for decades, activists have been wanting to take those cases out of the chain of command to an independent body that would um, regulate them, right? And that was achieved last year um, for the first time. And it's a huge change. It's gonna take a few years for it to actually be implemented. Um, But there are other things that still need to to change. For for instance, the the cases that were taken out of the chain of command were um, sexual um, assault and murder and other really um, uh, grave assaults. But uh, for instance, sexual harassment was not taken out of the chain of command. And that is very contradictory because sexual harassment is a high indicator of sexual assault, right? So mm-hmm. if the commanders are still handling those cases, then it kind of feels like, you know, a bit of a contradiction. Like people are not going to feel comfortable reporting harassment that might end up in, in assault afterwards. So that's a huge change. I think cultural culture needs to change as well. And that's obviously going to take many, many years. These are okay. huge Yep. Important no, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but we have run out of time. Um, but I want to thank you both so much for joining us. The film is hashtag I'm Vanessa Guillen. It, you can stream it on Univision.com. And of course, I want to thank uh, the film's producer and director, uh, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining us. And of course, Karina, also thank you for joining us. And thank you for sharing your story. So thank you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having me and Andrea. Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. 
Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at metrofocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.